Alleluia, Alleluia. Teach me your paths, my God, and guide me in your truth. Alleluia, Alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. In these few words, the Lord is giving us the essence of his mission. He's laying out his plan. He comes not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill all that has been spoken and accomplished by God in prior ages. So there is great uh, mystical depth in this word, fulfill. It's worth pondering just for a moment. What does this word mean? The word fulfill implies bringing something to its natural perfection, to maturity. So the fulfillment of an acorn is to grow into a mighty oak tree. The fulfillment of a seed is to grow and to bring forth fruit. The fulfillment of a little baby is to grow up into a man or a woman, and perhaps to bring forth children of their own. So fulfillment implies There is a created nature which has a native perfection. There's something there which the creator has written into the nature of his creation, and it is aiming toward an end, toward a goal, toward a final perfection. In the created order, also, we know that fulfillment takes time. It implies a gradual process of growth and maturation. So one spiritual author says that time is God's gift to creation because over the gradual course of years and decades, created things reach their fulfillment. It's good for all things to grow over time, to fulfill the potential written into their natures by God. Now we have to ask what might fulfillment mean with respect to the law and the prophets? After all, These are, in a way, divine realities, right? The law was given to the chosen people by God through Moses, his prophet. And we confess every Sunday in the Creed that the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. So through the law and the prophets, God indeed has communicated to his chosen people. The same creator of the heavens and the earth, as Jesus said, 
and all that they contain is the creator of the law and the prophets and all that has been revealed through them. Hear now these words from the letter to the Hebrews. This is the first verse of this marvelous letter. It begins like this. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the ages. So the law, although divinely revealed uh, and given by God, and indeed communicating divine truth and revelation, the law was in some sense preliminary. It was just the beginning of God's revelation. And indeed, God never contradicts himself, as St. Paul taught us in yesterday's reading from the Corinthians. In God, it's not yes and no. Uh, He's not uh, double-minded, but in God, it's always yes. So he communicates truth through the law and the prophets, but in a preliminary way. The law pointed the way toward righteousness. Uh, The law gave the people the outlines of what it might mean to live according to the mind and the will of God. But it did not give them grace. The law gave them rules for right conduct. It taught them the need for atonement, for repentance. Think of the, the rules that it gives for animal sacrifices to take away the guilt of sins. But it doesn't give them the resources to finally conquer sin. And so St. Paul dares to call it, with very strong language in today's reading, the dispensation of death, the dispensation of condemnation. Because the law made the people conscious of their sin, of their guilt, without providing a remedy, right? Likewise, think of all the prophets who again and again convict the people, saying, you need to repent. You must turn aside from your ways of sin and folly, but only hinting at the coming of the Messiah as any kind of final remedy for the iniquity of their hearts. But recognize here at last, at the fulfillment of the ages, in these last days, as St. Paul says, here at last is the Messiah, standing upon the mount, who in his own person now is fulfilling the law and the prophets, and indeed fulfilling all prior communication between God and his people, St. John of the Cross, I think, said it best. In giving us his son, his only word, for he possesses no other, the Father spoke everything to us at once, and he has no more to say. Because what he spoke before to the prophets in parts, he has now spoken all at once by giving us the all who is his son. Glorious. So you may know we speak of Christ sometimes as the new Moses, and this is a very apt analogy. Moses stood at the heights of Mount Sinai, and in the the cloud of glory amongst thunder and lightning, he received the law from God, um, as the rabbis say, inscribed by God's finger upon the tablets of stone. And Moses, as God's messenger, brought the law to the people. Likewise, Christ now stands upon a mountain. He gives the Sermon on the Mount, and he speaks to his people. But we must not confuse, uh, we must not 
uh, think that there are two lawgivers and two laws, Christ and Moses, as if the two are unrelated, because God is the lawgiver in the beginning as he is now. He gives the law to Moses, and now he himself in person, in his own voice, gives the fulfillment of the law. It's the difference between communicating through a messenger and in person. And when the Lord appears in person, he doesn't invalidate his own prior words, but he makes the intention from the beginning manifest beyond any doubt. So understanding this, dear friends, makes clear uh, something that occasionally causes problems in scriptural interpretation, how Christ can on the one hand show such reverence for the law. And in today's reading, he does show great reverence, doesn't he? He says, uh, not a letter nor the smallest part of a letter will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. But also the remarkable freedom that he shows from the law. As for example, um, think of the many times that he performs healings upon the Sabbath or teaching upon the Sabbath to the scandal of the rabbis and the scribes. Uh, remember, in fact, this teaching which so enraged the Pharisees when he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Well, he would know the one who created them both. But here's the point. In Christ, we belong not to the dispensation of death, the old law, but to the dispensation of the Spirit, the dispensation of righteousness. And St. Paul likewise teaches that Christ himself has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. In him, the old law is fulfilled. And so we are not heirs to a law written upon stone, a dead letter, but we are heirs to a new law of grace, written, St. Paul says, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So we must be cautious of two temptations. On the one hand, we are not to be legalists like the Pharisees who clung to every minute point of the law but missed its spirit. But we are also not to be lawless antinomians, uh, each individual a law unto himself or herself. Jesus pronounces his definitive condemnation of both of these heretical attitudes in a single glorious verse where he says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mints and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Here's a practical example, all right? You know St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, he used to say that he was prepared to give his very life, not only for the great dogmas of the Christian faith, all right, not only for the Trinity, for the Incarnation, but also for the least rubric in the Roman Missal. This is a man who truly understood the heart of Christ, the lawgiver. This is a man whose righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees. So friends, we have Christ for our law. He's both the lawgiver and himself the law, the standard of our conduct, and the one who imbues us with grace in order to lift us up to meet that high standard. The law is not abolished, but fulfilled in Christ. 
And this is our high calling, to imitate him, united by the gift of that self-same spirit, so that in us the law may also be fulfilled. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.